The 2-2. Swing a drive, deep right field. Stanton going back to the track, looking up, and Harper's homered again. It's opening day. Of course, it's a Harper home run. Bryce Harper. This could be his big breakout year. We've all been waiting for that one gigantic MVP give it away breakout year. For the great Bryce Harper. Let's talk some baseball right now. We're from SI.com baseball writer John Taylor, who's been on our show many times and does a fantastic job with MLB. John, first of all, welcome back to the show and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, John, first and foremost, you just heard that highlight from Bryce Harper from opening day. Is this finally going to be the one year that Bryce Harper comes out and has the one knockdown, uh, put it away MVP type year for the Nationals? Is this finally his year? Hey, 2015 was his knockdown, put it away MVP year for the Nationals. There wasn't anyone within anywhere of him in that MVP race. But I think the big thing is you saw last year he clearly wasn't right, and a lot of that seemed to be health issues. There was some talk that he was suffering from uh, neck and shoulder pain um, persistently, especially throughout the second half, and that's really kind of sapped his numbers. His timing wasn't right. His rhythm wasn't right. You could see he was just kind of pressing at the plate constantly. You didn't see that in spring training. You certainly didn't see that yesterday on that on that massive home run he hit. And I was at Nationals Park yesterday, and that something about the way he hits the ball, it's just him and Giancarlo Stanton, the ball just sounds so loud when it comes off their bats when they hit it just right. But I do think if you have a fully healthy Harper again, and I, I know my preseason MVP pick for the National League was Corey Seager, but I do think if, if Harper's healthy, he's certainly more than capable of being that MVP-type player. I mean, we, again, we already saw it two years ago. I think we can definitely see it again this year if he is back to full health. You saw a little bit of it already yesterday. You, you know, John, this American League West, you wrote an article about the American League West last week on SI.com. I read the whole thing. It was great. And Seattle, we know, is a good team. Houston's a very good team. Uh, Texas, we know, is a really good team. And Mike Trout last night had another home run. He's fantastic. Uh, do the Angels have enough, John, for Mike Trout and the Angels to make this, make them a contender in, in a really good American League West? If you squint really hard, you can see a contending team there. The truth is the offense the offense last year, was, besides Trout, was awful. They had a huge hole at second base, a huge hole in left field. Um, they didn't get much production out of their DH spot with uh, kind of rotating between C.J. Kroon and Albert Pujols. They've upgraded a lot of that. Catcher is still kind of a weak spot, but they have Cameron Mabin in left. They have Danny Espinosa at second. Those are better, much better options than what they were rolling out last year. Um, they have still Cole Calhoun, who's a very underrated player, uh, Angelton Simmons, who is at least, if not, I mean, it doesn't really matter essentially what he does offensively. So good defensively almost makes up for it. I think the problem you run into with the Angels is two things. One, their pitching staff is very, very thin. Uh, you saw it yesterday, their opening day starter was Ricky Nolasco. And while he's not the best starter on that staff, I think it was just more quirk at the schedule than anything. Uh, Garrett Richards and Matt Shoemaker are the two best starters on that staff. It's very thin behind them because they've suffered so many injuries over the last uh, two seasons. And especially in two guys in Shoemaker and Richards and also uh, Tyler Skaggs, all coming back from pretty serious uh, arm and elbow injuries. I think Shoemaker's might have been just – he took a ball off a head. I think that was his problem. The other thing is their bullpen is not good. It, it is a very big weakness. Houston Street's days of effectiveness are long past gone. They have a good reliever in Cam Bedrosian, uh, Steve Bedrosian's son, but Mike Soshik doesn't seem to have committed to him as a closer yet. So I think they're really going to have a problem holding leads, and I think any injury to that pitching staff is probably going to be too much for them to overcome, especially as you point out, that that division already has th- two as many as three very good teams in, in the Astros, Rangers, and Mariners, uh, all of whom are already contenders without really having to do much else. I think beyond that, and, and you also saw it probably yesterday too a little bit, the Athletics, if you watch that game, are 
really another team where if you look just right, you can see a contender. They have the, kind of the same issues that the Angels do, particularly with rotation depth. But I think that division is just going to be too tough for the Angels to get out of Mike Trout or no. Our special guest today talking baseball. First couple of days of the season opening up already. John Taylor, SI.com baseball writer, is our special guest. All right, John, let's look at some things that may be real, mirage, uh, whatever the case may be. We always overreact to what we see from opening day and act as if uh, an opening day win or loss counts for more than one. Let's talk about Mets fans who came into the season uneasy about injuries. So you got to like the uh, the rotation, but then Noah Syndergaard leaves the game yesterday with a blister. So I'm sure that doesn't ease any concerns that that fan base would have. No, but at the same time, I mean, a blister is pretty far down the list of things you have to worry about with regards to uh, pitching injuries, unless it's a Ridge Hill type situation, which just never goes away. And it doesn't seem, based on what the Mets said yesterday, that that's going to be the case. I mean, they pushed Senator back a day for his second start, but I think that's more just early April precaution than anything. In fact, I think that's probably a standard operating procedure for a blister. I do think, and I wrote something that's going to go up soon at some point today, is that um, you saw in Syndergaard the kind of pitcher. I mean, I know he's been a very popular NL Cy Young pick, and you definitely saw yesterday why that combination of stuff is it's, – it, there may not be another pitcher in this league who can touch it from, you know, 99-mile-an-hour fastballs, a, you know, 93-mile-an-hour slider, an 89-mile-an-hour changeup that just moves like crazy. I think the Mets the, – the big thing for the Mets is can that rotation stay healthy? That is That was obviously what sunk them last year when they lost. Harvey for most of the season, they lost to Grom for a good chunk of the season. Matt's never really got um, never really got settled in. You've already seen that problem a little bit, Matt, starting the year on the DL, and another what will be probably uh, kind of a sneaky problematic injury for them is Seth Lugo, who has a, apparently a slight UCL tear in his elbow um, coming off the WBC. He was a pretty important depth guy for them. Their rotation depth behind uh, him is pretty thin since they already have Robert Gesellman and Zach Wheeler both in the rotation. I mean, if these guys are healthy, there's no questioning that that's the best rotation in baseball. But I think the, the, that's the issue, is that they really haven't shown any of consistent ability to be healthy. Again, Matt is already out. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Harvey's start, which I believe is either tomorrow or Thursday. I can't remember which. If he's coming out and pitching the way we used to see him, you know, sitting 95, hitting 96, movement on his pitches, Mets fans will be able to breathe very easily. If he's going out and struggling to top 93 and leaving things over the plate, that's not going to be a good sign for the Mets and their hopes in the NL East. So let's go from a paranoid fan base to one that's dealing with the hangover of being really good for several years. Several years. That's the Kansas City Royals. Their bullpen, not what we remember seeing as of late. Uh, they give up six runs in the seventh inning yesterday. Uh, that, that's just not Royals baseball. So th- is this just uh, the end of an era for Kansas City, or again, are we overreacting? It might be. I, I mean, it's very easy to overreact anything in, in, in on opening day, and certainly, I mean, I, no, Kansas City's bullpen is not going to walk three guys with the bases loaded in a sing, in a you know, in a in a relief outing again. I don't think we're going to see that, hopefully. But this is a team that has now shed a lot of valuable pieces, even already from that 2015 team, and you know, a lot of them, especially especially in the rotation of bullpen. I mean, Jordano Ventura, nothing that could have been done about that. That's just a tragedy, you know, straight out. But building a consistent bullpen is so hard to do. There's so much year-to-year fluctuation and variance, even among not. I mean, they're the, the truly elite relievers are elite because they don't experience that. But the rest of the the rest of the you know mere mortals who pitch in relief certainly have to deal with that. And Kansas City no longer really has those elite guys anymore, aside from Kelvin Herrera. I mean, you saw the chance they took on Joaquin Soria last year, and it blew up in their faces. He was very bad, blew a lot of leads. 
And that bullpen right now doesn't really have too much depth or stuff to it at the moment. The truth is that we, I think a lot of people finally saw this was the year where the Royals were, you know, going to, you know, they've been outperforming projections for the last couple of years. And it seems like this is the year where that's not going to hold because the pitching just isn't good enough to stand up to it. Like, you know, again, Ventura is gone now. You're, you're, you know, you're rolling out Ian Kennedy and, and Jason Hamill multiple times a week. You know, that bullpen beyond Herrera is very thin. I do think we're probably not – and this isn't based on opening day. This is just something I thought at the start of the season. I do think that by the trade deadline, you're going to see the Royals have to make some really tough choices with the impending free agents that they have uh, with Eric Hosmer, with Lorenzo Cain, with Mike Moustakas. And I know they gave Danny Duffy a long-term deal. Actually, I should have mentioned Danny Duffy is probably the new ace of that rotation. He's very good. He pitched very well yesterday. But they're going to have to make some really tough choices with regards to the guys they decide to keep because they want to try to sign to a long-term deal and the guys they move in a potential deadline deal – to start restocking a farm system that's also been kind of thinned out. I know they already, you know, Wade Davis was kind of the first of that group to go, and they got Jorge Soler back, which is a pretty good return. But I think we're probably going to be looking at Dayton Moore doing more of that uh, come June and July because I, I simply don't think this team has the pieces necessary to be a contender again. Last thing for you, John, it was a battle of a couple of uh, big-time power hitters yesterday in Baltimore. Mark Trumbo and Jose Batista were both free agents in the offseason. Well, one hit a game winner – last night and the other went 0 for 5 uh Jose Batista not having uh, a great game and, and Mark Trumbo hitting the walk-off home run for the Orioles at Camden Yards so I have to imagine that Baltimore is feeling pretty good about that decision yeah at this I mean at the same time like and and, and I wrote something along these kind of lines it's, Bautista both did and didn't make sense for Baltimore because they needed a corner outfielder but Bautista is not a good corner outfielder defensively he's really he was never. He was. I mean, he was pretty good in back in his back in his prime. But now, certainly, he's more of a liability outfit than anything else. Um, but certainly, I mean, for the price they re-signed Trumbo, that you couldn't really find anything to argue about. That Mark Trumbo, for all his faults, and namely the fact that he is defensively maybe one of the worst players in baseball, he can still, as you saw, hit the ball real hard, real far when you put it when you leave it in the wrong spot. And certainly, that's worth the. I believe it was $37 million over three years the Orioles paid him. That's relatively nothing for a guy with his power output. Um, and I think the Orioles benefited from a market that seemed to be really down on kind of power-first hitters. I mean, you saw uh, Mike Napoli lingered on the market for a while. Edwin Encarnacion, who's admittedly not a power-first hitter, but that's, that's his calling card, really, took a very below-market deal with the Indians. Um, other like a guy like Pedro Alvarez, who had I believe 25 or so home so home runs last year, ended up taking a minor league deal with the Orioles, and now he's playing right field in, in, in AAA. So I think even at the time it was a good signing for the Orioles. Certainly they probably feel good about it now. I I do think all their talk about Bautista was simple posturing. They just for what I, his price was probably too high. Giving up a draft pick was too much. Maybe there are genuine concerns they have about him as a person, but I seem that that seems wildly overblown. But sure, I mean, I think in a vacuum, you certainly couldn't argue that signing Trumbo was a bad decision. I think it's already it's already paid off. Not paid off, sorry. It's, it's already looking good. And certainly if he has a year anything even close to what he did last year, that, that, contract's, gonna, that contract's already going to be a win for them after year one. Our special guest today, talking baseball, first couple of days of the season, is John Taylor, baseball writer, SI.com. And, John, I appreciate you joining us today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks as always.